Uh, good morning, my name is Wes. Um, I help oversee communion here at the church, and I'm honored to be with you this morning. Uh, we had some um, guests with us on stage that were helping lead worship, so if some of you all are like, I haven't seen them before, um, they're amazing. Ah, okay, there we go. I love this microphone now. Um, uh, so I just want to thank them. I think it's Cindy, Zoe, and Tak. Thank you guys so much for... Mercy goes to the church too. Yeah, oh. Oh, yeah I was, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Mercy. <laughs> um, I just want to say how much humility that took to get caught out from stage and responded really great. Let's go. Um, I, this morning, uh, when I was coming in, I was, we were feeling uh, really rushed. We still haven't adjusted to living with an 11-month-old and not aren't running to our schedule apparently still. She doesn't understand that concept yet. And so I was just feeling really rushed and I didn't eat and I grabbed coffee and I grabbed a muffin and I walked in and then I got into my seat and I started praising and I had coffee in one hand and a muffin in the other and I was like, I think this is a bit too much. This is a little too low church for this morning. And I was like, this might be, uh, this might be a line. I was like, coffee in one hand on the other, that's okay. I don't know about coffee and muffin at the same time. That might be stretching it. Um, but if you're joining us for the first time, we've been going through a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzera. Zero. Um, highly encourage you to look up the sermons that we've been going through tonight. They've been amazing. Um, and today we're diving into um, grief. And I named the, the topic or the, my sermon today, Welcoming Grief. Um, this isn't my first sermon on grief. Um, in fact, it's become a bit of a joke that I'm the grief guy, apparently. Um, and every time I do preach on it, I find myself getting the most nervous on it, even though it's a topic I'm probably most familiar with at this point. And that's because it's a weighty topic. Um, grief seems to carry a weight to it that impacts us like little else as humans. And I think the reason why it's weighty is because a lot, for a lot of us, we fear grief and we fear everything that comes with it. It's not pleasant. It's often filled with pain and suffering and emotions that can make us feel like we are sinking and there's no end in sight. I think the real reason that we fear grief, though, is grief can change us. It can change our lives. It can throw us into a new world or change how we see the world and one we haven't received a map for yet. Grief brings us face to face with the mystery of God's kingdom. So with that said, my sermon today is that I want us to leave knowing that we do not need to fear grief. Grief is an invitation from God and not something we need to run away from. Grief can, as paradoxically as this sounds, be a gift. We don't need to fear grief we can welcome it. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, we know that you are with, with us when we mourn. You know, we know that you are with us when we are in pain. And so this morning I invite you and I say, come Holy Spirit, rest upon us. Let us rest in Jesus' presence. May you open our hearts to hear what you're saying. And may you lay the gentle, gentle nature of the kingdom in this place. 
Jesus' name, amen. My first experience of grief happened about seven years ago. Oh, no, gosh. Eight, or oh, something bad. Um, and I was at this conference, and they was, there was ministry time, and I went up for prayer, and I can't even remember what I went up for prayer. I think it, I think it actually had something to do with pain, or headache, or no, my asthma. I think it had to do something with my asthma. I had really bad asthma. And while I was... While someone was praying for me, they had this image that they said to me. They, they were like, I'm getting this image of this handshake. And they said, I don't know if it's related to a parent or a loved one, but I'm getting this image of, the, of a handshake. And I froze because I knew exactly what she meant. It just was like, oh my gosh, I know what you're talking about. When I was uh, nine, about nine, ten years old, um, my dad w uh, would travel a lot for business. And up until that point, my dad and I had such a close relationship. Like, I just remember playing with him. He would hug me. He would kiss me. He would, we just had a very close relationship. And um, he was traveling a lot for business. And I remember this one time we went to go pick him up from the airport. And... Um, he came in, and I was with my mom and my um, two sisters. And he came in, and he gave my sisters and my mom a massive big hug. And he turned to me, and he extended his hand to give me a handshake. And it was the first time he's ever shook my hand. Up until that point, we just hugged each other. And I remember... I remember my whole world shattering in an instant. I had never experienced something like that before. And you sort of think, oh, it's just a handshake, but it wasn't. It was so much more. Um, when I was telling my supervisor this, my dad died three years ago, and when I was talking to him about how I was doing, I told him the story, and he paused and he said to me, he was like, I was like oh, so this is the second time you've lost your dad. And when that woman was praying for me, everything just came flooding back. And I just remember becoming an absolute puddle on the floor. I just remember bawling my eyes. I lost track of time. And if you've been touched by the Spirit, you'll know that you lose track of time often. And I just don't remember much after that. And I just weeped and weeped and weeped and weeped. See, I'd forgotten, and my body did everything to shut off that moment and help me forget it and become numb to it and pretend like nothing happened. And that's the way I lived for about 17 years. And it changed everything about my relationship with my dad. Loss can take a heavy toll on us. How many of you all here, by show of hands, have heard of the book of Job? Anyone? Most of us are familiar. How many of you all have read it word for word? Mmm, really? I want to believe you. I want to believe you. It's, a, and it's an incredible book. 
And as everyone apparently knows, it's in the Old Testament, which is really great. I don't have to explain that part. But it's about a wealthy man, and he was also a man that God said was blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. He didn't deserve any suffering or grief according to our metrics. After being reduced to absolute poverty, he then lost all ten of his children. They all died. Right after he lost everything, he then lost his children. Now, I'm not sure about you, but when I read that, I really struggle to find myself to relating to Job because you would know he responds in such a righteous manner. He responds without blaming God. And I struggle to relate. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if you can relate to my struggle to relate, but I struggle to relate. Job understandingly becomes completely undone by all of this. He sat alone in a pile of ashes, isolated and mourning. His wife had reached her limits and asked, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. The rest of the book consists of Job's three friends questioning why he still believes in God's goodness and righteousness, even though he's experienced so much undeserved loss and grief. As most of you know, that dialogue, and if you haven't read it, it's absolutely incredible. It's bewildering and beautiful at the same time. See, we currently live in a, in a culture that struggles to grieve. There's a lot of reasons for that, but one of them being that we've done everything in our culture to remove death from our daily, daily lives. Churches no longer have graveyards attached to them. If you've lost a loved one in a hospital, you know a few, you have a few hours with them after they die before they whisk away to the morgue. And for a lot of people, they never see that person again. It was just a hundred years ago where the norm was most people would die in their home with their family. And they would even stay there for a couple of days. Not sure about what that smell would be like, but they did. And they would stay there, and then after that, they would take their body to the church, bless them, and lay them to rest in the earth. Loss was integrated into the way of life where it's not today. In today's culture, we're set up to move on as quickly as possible, to become distracted, and ultimately to forget about our losses, and therefore stifling our grief. Here's the thing, though, about loss and grief. It affects us whether we're conscious of it or not. When we experience loss in our lives, no matter how big or small, we are extended an invitation, and that invitation is to grieve. Grief is a way of accepting that invitation from God that takes us down into the valley rather than trying to jump over it. Both ways end up on the other side, but grieving is, is a way of experiencing the fullness of the life that comes with being human. The reason God invites us into the valley is because he walks with us down into it and through it. So today, I want to look at the relationship of God and of Job. I want to take Job's example on how to grieve with God. And I also want to end on God's response to Job and what that tells us to about God. And before, 
before I get into how to grieve, I just want to premise this and say that I totally understand that we all grieve differently. And I don't want to come and put a bunch of shoulds on you. Have you heard of the itty-bitty shoddy committee? It's a thing. The committee in your head that goes, I should be doing this, should be doing this. Everything today is an invitation. Unfortunately, part of preaching is making generalizations. But I want, to th I want us to think of them as themes instead of mandates. Everything in the sermon is 100% invitational, just like God's kingdom. With that being said, I want to look at three aspects, three themes to Job's journey that can teach us about how to grieve with God. The first one is our journey to accepting the reality of our loss. How many of you have heard of the Kubler-Ross grieving process? We sort of Probably most of us are familiar with it, where acceptance comes at the end, right? That's what we sort of grow up with the, the norm going. And not that, I, I would like to shift that and say it's at the end of that step, but that's just the first step. You see, first we have to accept the reality of the loss. And it doesn't happen immediately sometimes. I've seen people where it happens immediately, and they grasp the reality of what they've just lost, and their whole world shatters. Other people, it takes time. But this first step in grieving is accepting the loss that's happened in our lives. This may sound strange, but a part of the reason we know Job accepted his loss was in the fact that he was sitting amongst the ashes, scraping himself with pieces of pottery. I don't know about you, but I feel like the biggest teacher of loss and grief in my life has been movies and TV shows. It's the most unrealistic picture I've ever seen in my life. You'll see a detective show or something, someone's just been murdered, and then you see their loved one, and they're weeping a little bit, and then a few hours later, they're able to talk to the police as if nothing happened. And you're like, what? I remember sitting there as a child going, if I lost my parents, my world would be undone. I wouldn't be able to talk for days. That's an indication that the reality of the loss has dropped into our souls. And that's how we know that for Job, the reality sunk so deep, he was sitting amongst a pile of ashes. That sounds normal to me, actually. There's another aspect to this, and that's Job's situation is really extreme. But loss comes in different shapes and sizes. Having someone to cl close to you die isn't the only form of loss out there. Some of us here have moved from different countries, or different states, or different towns. We've lost our home. Some of us have lost jobs, or even friendships. Maybe some of us are experienced loss in relationships that change. Recently, my daughter turned 11 months old and apparently when you turn 11 months old, you stop needing your dad to sleep on. And you don't need to lie on him to fall asleep anymore. And you don't warn him of that. And suddenly she's kicking you off to get off you. And you're like, why? And then you, and she rolls over. And she's fine. And then I'm left there. And I'm like, well, she doesn't need me again. 
I'm, I'm doing fine, by the way. <laughs> loss comes in different shapes and sizes, and often the losses that we actually need to grieve, we don't think we do. Second one is processing the emotions of the loss. Again, no matter, no matter how... Or, I'm sorry, I didn't put the slide up. It's the next slide, Tim. I apologize. I make my writing really big and red, so they know when to change the slide, and I didn't. But anyways, um, little behind-the-scene couldn't look there. Um, again, no matter how big or small the loss, there's going to be emotions associated with the loss in our lives. The pain of the change in the relationship I have with Amelia is not bad. But there were still emotions to attach to that that I needed to experience so I could process it and let go. Often we do everything to run away from our emotions because we are scared of them. Job didn't hold back in his processing. He said this, May the day of my birth perish, and the night that said, a boy is conceived, that day may it turn to darkness. If only my anguish could be weighed and all the misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. I don't know about you, but I'd say that's pretty honest. Processing our loss with God means being honest with Him. Job didn't hold back with his feelings and thoughts. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. Honestly, my prayer is that I'm as poetic as Job when I'm at my angriest and most hurt, because that is some significant language. Uh, I have a friend who's an Anglican priest. Um, he's a doctorate. He would kill me if I didn't say that. But um, He said it well when he said, In Job we discover faith is lived in wrestling with God, a genuine encounter. Lastly, a theme around grieving with God, and that's embracing new life. At the end of the book, at the end of Job, we see him begin again. God brings him through the worst suffering imaginable, but he doesn't leave him there. God blesses him with new life, found in new relationships and restoration of old. It says this in verse 12, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys, and also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter um, he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapash. Nowhere in the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers, which would have been a big deal. After this, Job lived a hundred and forty years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so Job died an old man and full of years. When we fully recognize our losses 
and adjust to them, something happens where we, we are open again to starting to receive new life. Anyone who has walked through grief and welcomed it can testify to this. This is why it's worth going through the valley. We live and experience the mystery of this life with God. Just like we can't escape death to be resurrected, so can't we escape grief to experience new beginnings. This doesn't mean forgetting what we lost, but living with them in a new way that invites relationships too. When we refuse to grieve what we lost, we unknowingly close ourselves off to embracing God's invitation to new life, one that carries both what we lost together with what we gain. Nick Cave, a musician who tragically lost his son, wrote a letter to a woman who asked for advice on her grief, and he said the simple and profound line that has stuck with me. Grief takes us into the holy. Blessed are those who mourn. The last bit I want to end off is looking at how God responded to Job. Because if you've read that part, you might be like, what on earth is he doing here? But as I said already, you see the dialogue for most of the book is Job's friends insisting with Job that God must be punishing him for being a sinner. Job had to have done something wrong in order for these events to be taking place. For them, there could be no other explanation for Job's suffering other than God was punishing him for something he did. You see, Job's friends and his wife are living under the narrative that God is some divine rewarder and punisher. This is his main job. It's dishing out punishment and providing riches to those who do good. Sort of like the prosperity gospel today. Sorry for that dig. But Job throughout the book rejects this claim, even in the midst of his uncertainty about why everything has happened to him. And in the midst of this crisis Job is going through, God responds to him. And instead of responding to him and speaking directly to his suffering and his grief, like we would, make, we would think, he does something pretty strange. He starts talking about the cosmos and the world and how he made the world. And he spends the whole time, he spends 34 verses talking about the Leviathan, which is a sea monster. I counted 34 verses. He starts off by saying this. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand who marked off its dimensions, surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it, on what were its footing set, or who laid its cornerstone. While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Why is God telling Job all of this? I'm going to quote my friend Ben again. He says this. God celebrates the beauty and freedom of creation. Stars and sea monsters, the lion and raven, the antelope and the ostrich, the horse and the hawk. It's as if God insists that the part of creation commonly experienced as monstrous and threatening, like the sea monster, 
are not only precious to God, but very close to the heart of God's creative and redemptive purposes. What God is doing here is revealing to Job that he, like a scaly leviathan, resides in the most striking way at the center of God's concern, even in the midst of his liminality. His suffering, woundedness, weakness, impairment, alienation, marginalization, limitation, and loss. God is for him. God's revelation to Job and to us is that the universe is far bigger, far stranger, and far more mysterious than we could ever imagine. To put it like this, God is the one who can comfort us in a way that moves us from being enclosed on ourselves. He's the one that can move us from grief taking a hold of us and collapsing around us. God can pick us up and help us see the beauty of his kingdom when all we can see is darkness. Here's the thing, though. God never stops us or removes the darkness. He never stops us from seeing the darkness. Rather, it is through the darkness that he brings us into his beauty. In the end, this is not only a story about Job and how he grieved well, and because of his grief, and because he suffered while well, God blessed him. That's not the point. Instead, this is a story about God's faithfulness to Job. It's about his faithfulness to Job in the midst of his grief and suffering. This is a story about how God moves us from living into the void to entering his holiness. This is a story that no matter how painful our losses and grief can seem in this life, God is always with us. God is always listening, and God is always inviting us into new life with Him. Seventeen years later, after I experienced that loss with my dad in relationship, um, I eventually worked up the courage to tell him. And it was the, one of the hardest things I ever had to do because we never, since that break, our relationship changed and we were never that direct with each other. But eventually I just couldn't hold it in any longer and I went to go talk to him about it. And he had no idea. For him, the funny thing was, his dad did the same thing when he was that age and he thought that's what happened. That's just the way things were. And he had no idea how much it crushed me. And it broke him. He was in tears. I was in tears. I might be in tears right now. But that was my introduction into grief. And it was so painful. And I just remember it, the tears didn't stop after the prayer. The tears continued for days, weeks, months, and years before I told my dad. But because I was able to tell him, and because God took me through that grief and that stage of grieving, I was able to come to my dad, and our relationship was able to receive restoration and new life. And even though I still live with the loss of all those years that we could have had, I still have the part where something new happened. 
The story about Job is how God invites us to grieve. This is a story about how God asks us to invite him into the grief too, so that he can turn our grief into new life with him. I'm going to invite you to stand right now. And I'm going to invite you to open your hearts, and I'm also going to invite the prayer team up. I wanted to end with these words, Jesus' words. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When I was preparing the sermon, I just really had the sense that there might be some of you all that have forgotten about a loss, are busy experiencing a loss. Maybe you're in the stage of needing to accept a loss. Maybe you're in the stage of you need space to process a lot. And maybe you're at the stage where you're going, I think I'm ready to move in through the loss and receive new life. God is here at every stage, and he is with you at every stage. And so if you if that is you this morning, I so encourage you to come up for prayer and receive prayer. There's something about prayer that brings us face to face with God, into his gentle presence, his loving and gracious presence.